How do we know God is really with us? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager of The Gospel Project, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. So, Brian, today we are looking at 1 Kings 18 and 19, which is the cornerstone chapter of Elijah's ministry in many ways. I mean, we see a little bit of his of of his ministry beforehand. We looked at that last week on the on the show, but now we're at that that one particular passage that almost everybody is familiar with um, if they spent any time in a church, you know, over the last. 20, 30, 50 years, right? Yeah, and it's 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 a really important passage because in many ways it kind of uh, sets forward what's going to be happening in this next period of Israel's redemptive history uh, with the ministry of the prophets Elijah, Elisha, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, basically what Elijah does is he tells, he stands before the people, he shows the power of God and says, all right, now who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to continue worshiping idols, or are you going to choose to worship God? Yeah. And that's the recurring message, of course, of throughout course. the major and minor prophets. Yeah, yeah, and really throughout all of First uh, and Second Kings mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just just for some context here, as we as we think about this this chapter, one of the things that we need to remember is is that at this point in in their history, uh, God's people had abandoned God. Entirely, they had forsaken uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and instead were worshiping the gods of the nations, who weren't gods at all, but were just nonsense, really. And yet, what's interesting in it is is that all throughout, God hadn't abandoned them; He was still with them, and. He had proved this to them over and over and over again. He had, from their very inception as a family, bringing them into existence from from Abraham's family, bringing them into Egypt and out again when the time was right, rescuing them from their sin again and again when they fell away in the promised land and were worshiping other gods there too. And every time they would realize, oh, wait, what are we doing? And ask God for help, and he would help them. He even gave them kings to lead them faithfully. And when those kings failed um, because of Rehoboam and Solomon's sins and the kingdom was split, um, when they stopped, when they abandoned him, he still did not abandon them. Instead, he was sending prophet after prophet after prophet all of them warning them um, against the way that they were going and pleading with them to turn away from their sin. Um, I love reading, uh, you mentioned the the major and minor prophets. I love reading Ezekiel for this reason. Um, there's just this one verse that, that gets me every time. Why will you die, house of Israel? Um, that there is this urgency to... The way that God speaks through the prophets, that it's not all fire and brimstone and um, doom and gloom and death and judgment. It's, I don't want you to die. (laughs) I want you to stop doing this thing. Come back to me. And yet they kept going. What's interesting here is, is that the prophet, in this case, Elijah, he's a wanted man. He's an enemy of the state. Um, because he people keeps, are a little bit thirsty. 
That's right. Well, I mean, there was a there's they're in the middle of a drought that's been going on for about three years mm-hmm. at that point. Ahab is the king of Israel at the time, and he and his wife Jezebel are um, have sworn to kill him um, if he is ever seen <laughs> in the land. And what does he do? He shows up. <laughs> and boy, does he. He shows up in a, in a bold way um, and, and, and takes a stand before the false prophets uh, mm-hmm. before the people and, and basically gives that ultimatum uh, again that we re- referenced a, a couple of minutes ago is that you have to make a choice. You, you, you can't, you can't straddle the fence um, and you can't, you know, you, you just can't have it both ways. You, you've got to choose. Will you serve God and God alone or will you serve the God's lowercase G? Um, and so let's, let's have it out right here, right now. Let's do it. And, and sets up this, this contest, of course, uh, in, in the latter part of, of chapter 18, where, where he says, all right, false prophets, you, you get to go first, go ahead and make an altar, put an animal on top, call to your gods. And, you know, if they bring fire from heaven, we know that they are true. Well, I'll worship them. Uh, and then I'll have my turn if your gods don't answer, which of course they won't because yeah. they're not real. And and I'll have my turn and I'll make an altar to the God. And if he brings fire from heaven, we'll all worship the true God. And so, of course, that's what happens. The the false prophets make their altar. Uh, they put the animal on top. They start to to call out to worship, to cut themselves as an act of worship and, and allegiance and so forth. This display, this manifestation of, of their faithfulness and Unsurprisingly, nothing happens. I love in there how Elijah mocks them mm-hmm. um, and says, you know, some translations, depending on how you understand that, Elijah may have asked, well, maybe maybe he's busy. Maybe he's using the bathroom right now. He's unavailable for that reason. Um, and mm-hmm. just kind of tongue firmly in cheek. Just kind of, I can see him just kind of sitting back there in, a, in, a, in an easy chair. <laughs> Yep. Just watching this all, <laughs> so, drinking some drinking some lemonade, saying, "You guys, come on." Yep. So they do all this for for quite a while, make this huge commotion, and nothing happens. It's right. just, it, the the contrast is so important there. A lot of noise from the prophets, silence from the false god, and then it's Elijah's turn, and it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, Elijah prays. Now again, it, it's not exactly clear. It could have been a, a quiet prayer. He could have prayed loudly so people could hear. Right. But it wasn't the volume of his voice necessarily. It was a lack of the other theatrics. And uh, he just calls out on the name of God. And uh, it's important to understand why he's calling for God to act for God's own glory. You know, let it be known today that you are the God so these people can see that. Yeah. And uh, so he prays. Uh, well, before that, of course, he, he drenches the altar with, with water. Right. And that's a big deal, too, because... As we mentioned, there was a drought, so yeah. water was in short supply. So think about the risk that that there was there. Yeah, well, it's a two. One, it's a very practical, wet things don't burn easily. True. So in one hand, it is showing, hey, let there, there's there going to be no trickery here. Um, we're going to really show you the power of God. And also, as you're suggesting, in altars where you, you sacrifice things, and, and there's a drought, water is a precious commodity. Can you imagine the people watching him pour water out that you're wasting it? Yeah. Um, and, and it's that, some would say it's that way that Elijah was saying, no, no, we're totally dependent on God. He's all we need. You think you need water right now, 
but there's a greater need right. in, in this. So he, they pour the water on, on the altar, drench it, and then Elijah prays. And then, of course, God answers and sends fire from heaven. And it consumes not only the animal that was sacrificed, but burns up everything, including the stones of the altar. Mm-hmm. So... Also not an easy thing to do. Not an easy thing to do. So there is no question at this point that God is real. The Mm -hmm. false gods are false. um, And the people have this choice. And they at least in this moment make lip service and say, hey, we will worship God. You know, if you just stop there, which is a place that many people do when they they read this Mm -hmm. passage of Scripture— you would think, okay, it's time for national revival. Um, everything's going to be great again. Um, all this kind of stuff, and then um, we even see, um, we even see immediately after this that um, that Elijah starts looking, looking at the at the horizon and sending his sending one of his servants to go and to go and look and check and see what's going on. And he's waiting for a storm that's on the way. Um, so the drought is going to end. And so this is another one of those symbols, right? That's like, okay, everything is going to be fine now. Um, and yet immediately after all of this happens where he's even running faster than a chariot (laughs) too, which is, which is really cool. So, so Elijah, the prophet, not only calls down fire from heaven, um, for God's glory, he also gets to run like the flash and, and that's just kind of cool too. So, um, so apparently superpowers can happen. Yeah. So what's interesting is that after, after all of this has happened, the rains come, all this kind of stuff, there is an edict that comes out from, from Israel that Elijah will be killed. <laughs> yeah, this did not make Jezebel happy. No, she was super mad. So she's like, either you're going to die or I will. <laughs> so instead of saying, okay, let's go. I mean, this is what you would expect, right? Yeah, if you're reading this for the first time. Right. I mean, you've just seen Elijah stand boldly before all the people, including all these false prophets. And uh, you've seen him call fire from heaven, as you said. You've seen him run really fast. You would think, reading this for the first time, it's like, all right, come on. Why would he be afraid of Jezebel? She's just one person now. He's already stood before all the people. Now, this is going to be good. He's going to go confront her and deal with her. But we see the exact opposite. We right. see him tuck tail and run the other direction. Right, and then lay down in the lay down in the wilderness and beg to die. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We see this at times yeah. in scripture where it, it just the the lack of logic mm-hmm. um, is is beyond us so often that you know he, faced with the fear of death. The response is, "Well, I'd just rather die." Right, and and I think this this brings us into the into the question of really what can we be, what should we be looking for in 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 this passage as we're seeking to understand it better? Really, is looking for that for that moment and really to wrestle with that. Yeah. Why is it that Elijah has seemingly lost all hope mm-hmm. here? Um, and that's an important thing is, is that it's it has nothing to do like it's tempting to look at him and just say, OK, well, maybe he lost faith, too. And maybe he did. The The, the text itself is not clear on the inner workings of his heart and mind. It just tells us what happened and what he did. But it doesn't tell us exactly why. Um, so when you think about 
but when you think about the juxtaposition of these two things, this this glorious scene of triumph and victory and God's power on display in this most incredible way. Um, in fact, one of the most incredible ways that we see in all of the Old Testament. Yeah. I mean, this is not a common thing that happens throughout throughout the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, there are many impressive miracles in the Old Absolutely Testament, of course. Absolutely, they are. But this one stands out. It's, this one's up there. It's its own kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's it's amazing. So, But immediately followed by Jezebel doubling down on her sin, which in turn leads the nation to double down on its sin, what it's saying, I, I have to wonder if his seeming to just give up has more to do with discouragement than anything else. That it's like these, this isn't going to change. It could be. I mean, if if that didn't get their attention, if I'm still in the same place I was before I went up Mount Carmel, then this is this is what it's going to be. Right. Uh, that could be part of it. I, I think this, this also, you started to, to say a minute ago, Aaron, I think this in, encourages us or should encourage us to be very gracious with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as I said, it's hard for me, as I read this, it's hard for me to understand how Elijah would get to that point of saying, boy, I'm afraid to die. I may as well just die. It doesn't make sense to me. But you know what? Um, a lot of times, other people, other brothers and sisters in Christ, my family members at times, will will respond in ways that don't make sense to me. And my my role in that time is not to force my understanding upon them. It's the opposite. It's it's to try to understand the best I can them, so I can minister to them. Yeah. So that I can love them and care for them and point them to gospel truth in, in the way that that that's needed. So I think this is a good reminder to us as as we think about brothers and sisters in Christ that. You know, there are times people are going to act in peculiar ways to us. We may see something very clearly, mm-hmm. and they may miss it. And and I think we need to be careful not coming at them from a a judgmental um, angle of, hey, why? You know, come on, yeah, get come it together, get it together. This yeah. is absurd. You're acting, you're you're acting, you know, absurdly right now. Yeah, um, I think this just calls on us to to muster that compassion uh, and, and sympathy or empathy, whatever the case may be, and, and go to them and, and try to meet them where they are to help them get where they need to be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think one of the great things that, that we see in this passage, and it's, and it's something that we really need to, to pay attention to as well, is we see God doing that mm-hmm. as well. So God doesn't rebuke him directly like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, dummy, get up, anything like that. Instead, he just calls him and says, what are you doing here? Yeah. What's going on? And he picks him up and he starts and he, and he starts to show him things. He um, feeds him. And- he feeds him. He cares for him. Yeah. And, then he, and then he reveals himself in a, in a particular way, not in... Um, grand spectacle, but just in in the quiet, yeah. and that is, and for a long time, that's actually the last we see of Elijah in the book until until the preparation for the transition from his ministry to Elisha. Um, and so that doesn't mean that his ministry was done; it just means that 
his what we needed from, from the his narrative. Story. Yeah, from the narrative perspective, it is setting us up, and that's part of God's message. You're not alone. Yeah, and, and it's and that's up, something that he says yeah. in there too. Is because Elijah is saying he's like, I'm the only one left. No one, even after all this, everyone is turned away from you. And he's like, What are you talking about? I've got like 500 people over here in this cave. Yeah, and then we're <laughs> going to see Elisha, his successor. Yeah, I, I think. We can't miss the way that God communicated with Elijah in this moment. You know, I, I just see this this contrast. This this these two chapters really continue to have this contrast between loud and quiet, if you will. Mm-hmm. Again, it starts with the the prophets of of Baal being loud and Baal being quiet, of course, and then conversely, Elijah's kind of Elijah is kind of quiet, um, and then God is loud. And then here we see God begins with some things that are louder and then culminates with something that's quiet. And that's where God's presence is. And I think what we're seeing here is is God reminding or maybe teaching, as the case may be, Elijah and us by extension, that we we can't presuppose to understand that God works the same way all the time. Yeah. That there are times where God's going to be loud. He's going to send fire from the heavens. And there are times that he is going to meet with his people for his purposes in a still voice, in a quiet voice way. Um, I think this is problematic for us that that we presuppose on God that we believe we know how he should engage with mm-hmm. us at times that we're, oh no, I need to allow God right now. I need to fire God right now. Yeah. And actually God's point is, no, no, no. You may need the quiet voice in right. this time. And so this is just a great reminder to us that uh, that God, as you said, he's, he's very tender with Elijah here. Uh, I think of Jesus in the pro, in in the Gospels. You know, you see Jesus being very soft, compassionate, caring, sensitive at times with people, and mm-hmm. in other times you see him pretty aggressive, on the nose, especially with the Pharisees, because he understands that people need a different thing. They're all the same purpose. His heart is to draw people to repentance. Yeah, uh, but some people need a kick in the pants to come to repentance. Others need a pat on the back. Yeah. And God knows that about us. There are times that we will need that gentle voice, and there are times that we need a little bit stronger. Right. Absolutely. And so this is um, this really leads into our next big question, and you, you've kind of covered some of this already, but really, how does this passage point us to Jesus? Yeah, I, I think you know this whole idea here is Elijah was needing to understand that God was with him. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. He saw the reality of God, of course, on Carmel. Everybody saw the reality of God. But right after that, again, as we just talked about, it seems like he's he's wondering, God, I'm alone. Um, and part of that presupposes, are you even with me? Right. Uh, you know, I, I'm in danger now. Are you here with me? Are you, are you going to take care of me? Are yeah. You gonna, and, uh, and this was God's way that still voice is reminding him, no, I, I'm here. I'm with you. And we know, of course, that in Christ, Christ is proof positive that God is with us, Emmanuel, uh, that he, 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 Jesus stepped into the world, stepped into the mess of the world to bring about redemption through his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. And we never have to ask this question, although we do, yeah, but we never have to because the answer has been given to us. Is God with us? Definitively, yes. Christ is proof positive of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other things that we want to recognize in this passage is is just how Elijah himself points us to Jesus. And that's one of those key things with every prophet. 
um, particularly Elijah and Elisha, those two um, very powerfully demonstrate Jesus's ministry um, in a very profound way. Um, there's parallels with um, really with the first and second coming um, and anticipated second coming of Christ in some ways. Um, there is, but there's also just the the emphasis of their ministries as well. That um, Elijah was this constant refrain of repent, 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 repent and believe, repent and believe, turn back, um, don't run <laughs> from God, um, run to him instead. Um, and Elijah had a little bit more of a tinge of judgment. I yeah. mean, his was, and we see this even right at the beginning of of his ministry, which, um, which showed him, um, you know, being made fun of by a, a group of young uh, young hooligans who he then sends a bear after. <laughs> and I'm partial to that passage. I don't know why. It's a but... great passage. You know, I'm I'm still really disappointed that we haven't studied that <laughs> in the Gospel Project well, as, we, as we work on our next scope and sequence. That may maybe. get in there. We, we, right. we might have to okay. try to get that one in. All right. That would be a good uh, that'd be a good one for the kids. Exactly. So. <laughs> Act it out. Nice. <laughs> so um any <laughs> Anyway, but there's also a uh, there's also an interesting parallel um, if you think about, and we'll get into this a little bit in in one of the next set in one of the next episodes. So I don't want to give too much away, but there's uh, yeah there there's even um, a hint of the relationship between Christ and the church in there too, and in, in how how they display. But we'll talk about that next episode, not this one. Um, but as we're uh, but also thinking through through this, um, we are reminded of some confidence that we can have too that that um, through that Christ is always going to be preserving his people. Um, and this is particularly important for us because we live in a pretty dark time um, in the West from from a certain perspective mm-hmm. um, where it seems like, uh, Christianity is on the decline, and the church is increasingly in danger of, of someday experiencing real persecution here. So, with full caveats, you know, we experience an, a type of intellectual persecution, um, less so a physical persecution, yeah. um, but we're also at risk of a legal persecution. As well, um, that is coming in in some ways is already here, um, if we're if we're paying attention, um, but we can so we can look at all of that and we can we can lose hope, or we can turn to um, we can start looking at other options for well how can we protect what's important to us. Maybe, um, maybe politics is the answer, or maybe this, that, or the other thing is the the answer. Um, separating entirely from the culture and and living in, um, you know, in a cloister, <laughs> um, whatever. Um, but what God wants us to see from His Word is is that, um, and from how He's acted throughout history, is that. He is always raising up faithful people. And he's never, like the church can never die. It might look different. There may come a day where where Christians here are worshiping the way that Christians in China do, which is 
in hiding, but it doesn't mean that the church goes away. Yeah, Elijah suffered from from um, short sightedness. I mean, he, he was really narrow in his in his understanding and vision of what God was doing. That's what God had to draw to his attention. And I think we are myopic in the same way at times that we can either filter things through our local church mm-hmm. and maybe we're in a local church that like many maybe is not doing all it, it can and should be doing for the gospel. And and then we kind of pro- paint with a broad brush Yeah, and say, well, oh, man, you know, is, is anybody really being faithful to God anymore? Is anybody and, – and we miss the bigger picture. Or sometimes as you're intimating the church in America and we, we paint with a brush just that. Yeah. And we fail to understand, man, no, God is doing amazing things around the world. So I think at times we suffer exactly what Elijah did mm-hmm. of looking <clears throat> of looking too narrowly um, at his situation and not understanding that, that no, God is – much bigger. There's much more going on around that that we may not see. Yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good point there. Um, so thinking about this from the perspective of a, a ministry leader, so a small group leader, um, student ministry or kids ministry mm-hmm. uh, volunteer, um, someone who's engaging in one on one discipleship um, with their with someone that they know. What guidance can we offer in addition to what we've already done um, as they're working through this passage? Yeah, I think one of the things is to try to connect both parts of this. You can kind of think of it as two parts, the story in two parts. Yeah. What happens at Carmel and then what happens after. And I think you can treat them in isolation, of course. You, you can teach them and, and, and do them rightly in individual uh, as individual accounts. But when you look at them together, I think it's even stronger. And the boldness that we see at Carmel, we want to tell our people, be bold. Like Elijah was bold, be bold. And, and there is a place for that. But the reason that we can be bold, the reason that we um, have the confidence mm-hmm. to take a stand for God is what's in the second half because God is with us and mm-hmm. God is the one who's providing for us. God is the one who's faithful. God is at work. He's at work in different ways. He's at work in, in different people and so forth. So because the second is true, the first can happen. Yeah. So I think we can really help our people by helping them see that. And and again, it, it avoids moralism. The first one, be bold, can can lead toward moralism if we're not careful. Our people can conclude, well, it's all on me. I've got to be bold. If I'm bold, I'll make God happy. If I'm not bold, I'll, I'll displease God. That's moralism. But if we help our people see, no, no, the reason why we – can be bold, the reason why we've been called to do that and it's possible is because what Christ has done in us yeah. uh, and that it's his power, he's with us and so forth, that will give more of a gospel-centered understanding of what it looks like to be bold for Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other things that uh, you we would want to encourage people with is to remember that when we see people that that we're either just aware of in in general or people that we know well um, apparently or seemingly walk away from the faith, one of the things that we don't want to do is, is we don't want to give up on them. Yeah. We don't want to say, well, they, you know, well, I guess, you know, I guess they never truly believed to begin with, depending on your theology or, um, or you know. I can't believe that they, you know, there's no hope for them or anything like that. Um, one of the things that's really important and helpful for us to recognize is that as long as people are alive, as long as they are still breathing, there is hope for them. 
God may not be done what uh, what He has been doing in and uh, in their lives. They may be in a prolonged season of rebellion. They may be um, doing despicable things in the eyes of the Lord, um, sinning sinning boldly, <laughs> um, as uh, as Martin Luther often liked to say. Um, but God may have may still have a hold on them. Yeah. They may just be fighting it. So we need to pray for them. We need to we need to plead for them boldly and humbly um, before God. Well, as as we would any unbeliever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just it, it, it's it's really what Jesus had in mind when he, when he gave us the model of church discipline that that you 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 go to somebody and if that person does not respond as as we know going through that process, then we read we're to treat that person as an unbeliever. Yeah. Well, some people mistake that to believe. Okay, well, we punish them or something. No, that's not how we treat unbelievers. Right. So we shouldn't. Right. What? How should we treat unbelievers? Love them and share the gospel with them. Right. So I think it's the same way that that we. We want to see these people who appear to fall away, whatever's happening there, and, and we want to uphold the beauty of the gospel before them. We want to point these people to the gospel in love for them. Uh, that's our response. We should not be – I think we have to be careful about you know being uh, petty yeah. and, and, and taking it personally. Like, oh, they've rejected us. Yeah. In rejecting Christ, they've rejected us, and so we're going to shun them. Right. And uh, – I'm glad you put it that way because I mean that's one of those that's one of those dangers is the the emphasis there who is who is more who is more greatly offended yeah. when someone seemingly falls away from the faith yeah. us or Jesus exactly well and and we can take it too personally because you know we've been seeing this in the news re- recently yes and uh, and and some people may have bought books by these individuals they may have listened to sermons or music or, 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 or yeah lots of records yeah. and, and so like that. we feel betrayed we feel foolish sure and so it's it's I can understand how people can personalize this and then you take it well you know turn your back on Jesus slash turn your back on me mm-hmm. nope I'm not gonna fall for that again. Again, that's just that really that's lacking humility. Yeah. Um, really, our response should be the same to anybody. We should have a deep compassion. Either this person is in Christ and they are deeply confused in this moment. Yeah. Or this person was never in Christ. And again, we need to pray that the gospel gets a hold of them. Yeah. That brings us to kind of one of those last things that we, we've said earlier, but it's worth restating is that we should always be careful not to presume to know how God is working. And so whether that is through the seeming rejection of God's word um, right from the outset or from a brief shining moment of apparent repentance before falling back into sin um, or something else entirely, you name it. Um, think about think about the people that you're trying to reach with the gospel that are in your in your spheres of influence. Those people that you have been praying for and speaking to and building relationships over sometimes hopefully likely many, many years in some cases, um, and yet you've not apparently seen any fruit 
from that. You Maybe you've been disappointed because you shared the gospel once and they didn't immediately fall on their knees and <laughs> confess faith. I know people who felt that way um, and were actually really frustrated because I was one of those people who didn't do that <laughs> for them. And that's okay. It's okay if they don't come, if they don't immediately respond because God might be doing something different than you expect. So, Brian, I think that might be a good place for us to wrap up this conversation. Um, So thanks for chatting about this today. And thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. Thanks for listening.